Now, you may have noticed that we don't celebrate anniversaries and birthdays on Sunday morning here at Grace. And it's not because we don't love people. In fact, we do love people and we go out of our way to show that. But we want to save Sunday morning as an opportunity to worship the Lord. And the basic definition of worship, the, the one word synonym that if I could pick for worship is submission. Submission, or at least part of what it means to submit ourselves to God, is to emulate Him, is to copy Him as far as we are able. And fortunately for you and me, God has so revealed Himself, so shown Himself to be who He is, that we have a very practical, very tangible, very visible way to copy Him. It's adoption. If you have repented of your sins, you are adopted into his forever family. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says this, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, the Thursday we just had, the Burtnett family just celebrated our Forever Family Day. It was the second anniversary of adopting Eliana Wulanding Burtnett. And we praise Jesus. Amen. North China restaurant, garlic chicken. It was wonderful. I wear this shirt to remind myself of the traumatic... A glorious day, June 15th, 20, was it 15, was. And I wear this shirt today to remind you that as different as the Chinese culture is from the United States, far more different is the domain of darkness from the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And You, you and I who have entrusted ourselves to God the Father have been adopted into the greatest family in the universe. And that, my friends, is worth celebrating. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we come to you, let us receive that spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And let us therefore listen to you so that we will bring glory to you and joy to our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is not hard to please. Now some of you in this room may be thinking to yourself right now, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus is very hard to please. I used to think so myself. In fact, I used to be in constant terror, literally constant terror, that God would throw a lightning bolt at me because I cussed one too many times or I drove down the 91 freeway one too many times. Anybody identify with that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was convinced that God was this cosmic cop judge that always needed to be appeased. I was wrong. 
I thought about God kind of like the lady who came into our church office. This is about 20 years ago at a different church. But she came in and her hair was quite a bit shorter than it normally was. And so I said, I like your haircut. Didn't you like my hair before? What do you say to that? What do you say to someone who won't be pleased? But unfortunately, many of us have this wrong view of God. And as it turns out, our Father in Heaven is remarkably easy to please. It turns out that God wants to be pleased by you all the time. He's not some diva who's constantly begging compliments only to throw them in your face because they didn't come out exactly right. For those who trust the promises of God for them in Christ, God the Father is the easiest person in the universe to please. In fact, a phrase that I now live by is that God loves you exactly the way you are and He loves you too much to let you stay there. God loves you exactly the way you are and He loves you too much to leave you there. God is easily pleased by the smallest efforts of those who trust Him. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love and He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3.17 And the next one, um, Jeremiah 32.41 is equally as wonderful. I will rejoice and doing them good. Your God, what makes Him happy is doing you good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and soul. But, for those who refuse, those who demand to stand on the inside like that two-year-old in timeout we talked about a couple weeks ago, God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things that God had given you, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. God threatens terrible things to those who will not be happy. Nevertheless, for those of us who have repented of our sins and turned away from our sin and towards God, his final word is, the Lord will again take delight in prospering you. Now, I called today's sermon, We're Walking Here, as a tip of the hat to Benji's constant movie references, but also as a reminder that Paul wants you and me to have confidence in our walk with the Lord. He wants us to live this life that we have together with those who are like us hoping to be pleasing to the Lord. 
And the verses we are looking at today follow hard on the heels of last week's passage. These, this passage is kind of one. I just didn't have enough time to preach it all because you would have gone to sleep and I would have been boring. And hope, the hope that was central to last week's sermon, 1, 3 through 8, remains central to this week's sermon, even though Paul doesn't use the word. Paul's thinking here hasn't changed. You and I can exercise trust in God's promises, and you and I can love those who are near us because we have hope that we are living pleasing to God. Let me show you this so that you can see it for yourself. In Colossians 1, 9-14, Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You will find in these words three ideas. For those who have repented, for those who trust his promises, you'll find three things. You'll find that you please him. You'll find that you can test yourself. And you will find that you have been forgiven. Now, bear in mind, this passage is a prayer. And so we have to read prayers differently than we read explicit, didactic, trying to teach passages. But make no mistake, Paul is seeking to teach here. And like all prayers found in the Bible, the assumption is that God will answer these prayers because it is exactly in line with what he wants to do for his people. We assume here that those who are being prayed for by Paul are in fact Christians. They are trusting his promises. They have turned from their sins and turned to God. And without that assumption, what I'm about to say would be utterly false. It would be untrue. But for those who are Christians, it is true. So what do we see? You are pleasing to God because he himself has given you the gift of being pleasing to him. I'll show you where that's at in verse 9. Verses 10 to 12 outline a test, a series of questions you can ask yourself to know whether you are in fact living this life that is pleasing to him. And then in the second part of 12 through 14, Paul reminds us, just in case we missed it, God has already done the work that is necessary for you to please him. That is, he has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness, brought you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And part of, that doing, part of doing that is forgiving you all your sins. Because all your sins are forgiven and because you have been redeemed, brought into his kingdom, 
you can relax. Man, you can have hope. And because you have hope, you can get on with the business, the very sometimes difficult business of growing in Christ and becoming more and more like Him. In fact, I think Paul may have had Psalm 130 verses 3 through 4 in mind when he wrote this. He wrote here, If you, O Yahweh, should mark iniquities, O King, who could stand? In other words, nobody. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Because there is forgiveness, because He forgives us of our sins, we don't have to throw our hands up in despair and go, oh, what's the point? Instead, we can receive this grace and we can get on with the business of saying, yes, Lord, I want to be more like You. Now, wherever you find a prayer in Scripture. Wherever you see a biblical author praying, you need to pay attention. For two reasons, at least. How many of you have ever struggled to pray? How many of you have ever struggled, I don't feel like praying right now? Okay, fair enough. The Bible gives you examples of people who also struggled to pray. How many of you ever struggled to know what to pray about while you were praying? Right? Right? That's me. Well, the Bible tells you how to pray. One of the great ideas many fellow saints have used over the millennia is to take the words of the biblical prayers that they find and make them personal. Take the content, in this case of Paul's prayers, and make that content about yourself or about someone who is near you that you need to love and pray for. For example... If I'm praying for my son, God, our father, I pray that my son may be filled with the knowledge of your will. God, I pray that he would know your will in this particular area of his life. And I pray, father, that you would fill him with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Help him to understand what is going on and wisdom and courage to do it. And Lord, I pray that he may walk in a manner that is worthy of you Jesus, that he would be fully pleasing to you. This is how you can do it. If you ever struggle to know what to pray for, flip open to one of the passages in Paul and read those prayers about your loved ones. Just like Jesus' 12 friends who walked up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. You can go and ask the same question of Paul. And he answers in every single one of his epistles. In fact, the elders and, and several of us went through this book not too long ago. It's by D.A. Carson called Praying with Paul. And what it is, is a brief commentary on each one of these passages. I forget, there's like 12 of them. And uh, there's 12 of them. And he helps you and I understand some important lessons on prayer and how and what we should pray. Uh, This is not, by the way, an easy book to read. But if you pray and ask God to help you understand it and then take the time to do it, you will find that it is well worth it. Now, let's go to our passage. We find in verse 9, Paul begins his prayer. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. Two really quick things off the top. The little words, and so, make you look back and see verses 3 through 8 and understand the context there. As I said a moment ago, hope is central all the way through to the end of verse 14. This hope that empowers your trusting in God's promises and the hope that empowers your loving of those who are near you is what Paul wants you to get. And, as I also said last week, understanding the verbs is crucial. And in this case, in verse 9, asking that you may be filled. What we have to get here is that Paul is speaking in the passive sense. He's saying, you need something done to you. You need God the Father to put something in you that you can't do for yourself. This may you be filled then controls everything else. Because Paul assumes and he asserts the fact that God is the one who does the filling. God is the one who does the work. And he assumes, more than he asserts, that you and I need to ask him to do it. God likes to be asked. Paul prays that the Colossians and the Santa Marians would be filled with God's grace so that you and I can carry on the normal Christian life of trusting Jesus' promises found in his word and loving those who are near us. Because we have hope that he's got our back. But then the question is, what do I need to be filled with? Well, Paul answers that really fast. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Whether you're talking about work or whether you're talking about school or whether you're talking about some hobby that you have, you understand that you need wisdom and understanding. You need to have insight as to what's going on and you need to have understanding as to how it works and how you can make it a part of you. In fact, this Wednesday I have an appointment with somebody who hopefully will give me wisdom and understanding about this stupid back pain that I have so that I'll be able to walk better next week. That's my hope at least. That one we're not guaranteed about. But Paul tells us that While this is good, we should rather train ourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the one to come. One day, no matter what doctors and people do, my back won't hurt. But I will also need that godliness. It takes training. Specific, intentional, sometimes hard work to learn the wisdom and understanding as it relates to spiritual things. And if you think about it, as you would expect, it takes prayer. It takes asking the Lord, who is the only source of spiritual wisdom and understanding. And You need to train yourself for godliness. And you need to depend on God to give you wisdom and understanding. And you need to move forward as if he's already given you this understanding. And 
You see, it's a both and. We need to pray and ask God. Without that, we're lost. And we need to act as if it is already given to us so that we can move forward. Now, one last thing. Note that he's talking about knowing God's will. Knowing God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But knowing God's will is simple. It's not complex. I used to work for six years with college students, and I'd get asked just about every week, I, I need to know God's will about marriage. I need to know God's will about my career. I need to know God's will about school. These are all wonderful things. You should pray for wisdom about all these things. I am not saying anything against that. But the answer is simple. It's not complex. In fact, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go out on the limb here. I'm going to tell you a secret. All right? Now, it's a secret, so you've got to keep it, right? Will you do that? Yeah? Okay, good. Here's the secret to God's will. Do what you know you're already supposed to do. Do what you already know that you should do. Like, for example, devoting time to prayer and reading Scripture. Like, for example, making disciple, making disciples. Like, for example, engaging in service outreach. And the second half of this secret is don't do the things you know you shouldn't do. Like, for example, devoting time to coveting and lusting, discipling your heart, to, your heart and the hearts of others to chase after the various gods we make, or living a self-centered, insignificant, and destructive life. You know what you should do, and you know what you shouldn't do. But Pastor Greg, these are the things that pastors are always harping on. Yep, it is. That's exactly right. And if you are walking this path, if you are self-consciously taking steps towards walking more with Jesus, doing what you know you should not do, and not doing the things that you know you shouldn't do, then... When the problems of life that inevitably come to all of us, when these problems come, you and those who are with you also walking with Jesus can pray and say, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us spiritual wisdom and understanding about this so that we will know what we should do. My friends, it is the simple, not complex life of walking with Jesus this is the path to hope-producing, confidence-building, trust-empowering, living in the real world. This is the path to trusting God's promises and loving those who are near you. This is what it means to be a Christian. And you can live this life right now, not because you've never messed up, you can live this life right now because God loves you exactly as you are and He loves you too much to leave you there. You can walk forward in your relationship with Jesus because God loves you right now with all of your sins, with all of your 
finiteness, with all of your weakness. And He loves you and me too much to leave us there. This grace of God is what makes discipleship possible. This is what makes you becoming more like Christ possible. This is what empowers you to defeat sin. Because all of life is by grace. Because all of life is by grace, you know that God loves you where you are, warts and all. And because all of life is by grace, you can know that He wants to strengthen your soul with hope in Him and His promises so that you will grow past your weaknesses. Now, praise Jesus, Paul doesn't leave us to question ourselves. Paul doesn't leave us in the lurch. Paul now moves forward. He's talking about God working in us and he gives us a list. He gives us a series of tests He gives us a way of comparing our heart to how we in fact live so that we will know that God is active in us and through us. Now bear in mind, this list isn't meant to be comprehensive. It's not everything that you could ask, but it's representative. It it helps you understand what's going on. And we get that in verses 9, or excuse me, 10 through 12a. He says, May you be filled, may God do this for you, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Now, you have undoubtedly heard me making jokes about the nearly inspired version. And I have to confess, I am a fan of the English Standard uh, Bible. It's, it's what I think does the best balance of understanding and uh, staying close to the text. But in this case, actually, I think the NIV does a better job translating the passage. Let me read the NIV. Again, this idea of may you be filled by God. May God do this work in filling you so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. All right, now we're going to find out what does it look like to live worthy of the Lord, in other words, pleasing Him in every way. Okay, what does it look like? Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now, studying Greek was a lot of fun. Studying Greek was great, and yes, I am a geek and I embrace it. There we go. Studying Greek was fun until you got to verbs. Greek verbs are solid evidence that Satan has come in and corrupted everything. Greek verbs are impossibly complex, they are very difficult, and they are the single most important thing you have to work with in order to give a good translation. Now, I understand why the ESV made the translation they did, and I'm okay with that. If you only ever use the ESV, you will be on solid footing. But the NIV does something so that you and I can have something with neon lights showing us what Paul is talking about. What does it mean that we can walk worthy of the Lord? In other words, 
fully pleasing to him. Well, here it is. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened to endure, and giving joyful thanks. Now, we are spending a lot of time, and we will spend the rest of the summer in Colossians, looking at the idea that Christ is supreme and Christ is sufficient. And because Christ is supreme and Christ is sufficient, therefore, we can live lives bearing fruit. And the, the key part of the fruit that Paul is talking about, not the only one, but the most important one that Paul emphasizes is this becoming more like Jesus. This living a life worthy of the Lord. In other words, pleasing Him in every way. And Paul gives us four things that we can look at to see if we're doing this. Bearing fruit in every good work. Now, you have to catch that Paul's not demanding perfection. Paul's not saying if you don't bear fruit in every work, you're out of here. Instead, he's trying to draw your attention to the fact that you can live better than you are right now. Did you snap at your kids this morning? I didn't. They were still all asleep when I left. Did you snap at your kids this morning? Think through that situation and imagine what you could have done differently that would have changed the situation for the better. Think through what it was that you could have done differently so that the outcome would have been different. It would have been better. And ask the Lord to enable you to bear fruit in every good work. Not snapping at your kids, for example. Growing in the knowledge of God. Did you skip your time in God's Word in prayer today? The worst thing you can do if you did, is throw up your hands in despair and say, ah, I'll never get this Christianity stuff and just give up. It's a common thing to do, but it's the wrong thing to do. Instead, take time and think through what was it that happened that I can do differently next time, preparing for it so that I will, in fact, get to know God better. If you go through this life with your eyes open, if you go through this life looking at it through the lens of Scripture, then you are going to see God everywhere. You will understand Him better. And because you understand Him better, you'll see that He is a promise-keeping God that is worthy of your trust. If you spend your life with eyes wide open, you will understand that He is beautiful beyond compare and His beauty doesn't fade and therefore you will love Him so much more because you will see Him as He is. And you will begin to see all the things that we lust and we covet as the vomit that they are when they are worshipped. As opposed to if they are used for God's glory and the joy of others. Be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. This morning we found out that 
there was only going to be two ladies who were in our nursery this morning. And so I said as they were leaving, we're going to be talking about strength to endure and patience. May you have that. Because I can imagine few things that need more endurance and patience than handling two-year-olds. But it's a good example. It's a reminder that there are constant needs in our lives to endure and be patient. Are there not? You're constantly being faced with situations in which the right thing is just keep your mouth shut. Keep moving forward. And I don't know about you, but 45 years have proven to me that I don't have it within me. Amen? What I need is to be strengthened, to be given that strength. So think through a situation that happened recently in which you did not act with patience and endurance. You snapped at your coworker. And begin to think through the situation, imagining what it would have been like for you to have given the patience and joy, the, the patience that you would have needed. And then do something outrageous. Do something a little bit on the wild side. But don't tell anybody that some Baptist preacher told you to do this because I might get fired. My boss is sitting right there. I don't want to get fired. Are you ready to go Cal Berkeley radical on this one? It's another another secret. It's this. Ask Jesus to give you patience. Who would have thought of that? Well, Paul did. Paul said, Colossians, I know you're human. You need patience. Oh, and then you want to be on CNN? You want to go religious right on this one? Then act like he's already given you patience. Begin to live your life in such a way that I have patience. The Lord has given me patience. Therefore, I am going to be patient with this person right now. Oh my goodness. If you do that, you will be a much happier person. You may not be on CNN or MSN or any of those other NNNs, but you will be a happier person. You will know God better and therefore you will love Him and you will trust Him more. And then joyfully give thanks. I've been made fun of many times in my life for a plethora of reasons. But one of the reasons I've been made fun of many times in my life is that I'm very repetitive. You may have noticed. You ask me how I'm doing, I am blessed. You ask me what I think, I think you need to know God better so that you will love Him more and you will trust Him more. You want to know what Christianity is all about. You've heard me say a hundred times, trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Why do I do this? Why am I so repetitive? Because I'm an idiot and I forget. And so I need to remind myself. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, yeah you're all raising your hand because you say I'm an idiot. I get it. Nothing but love. I understand. Why do I always say praise Jesus? No matter what the situation is, why do I always say praise Jesus? It's because of verses like this one. 
joyfully give thanks in all things. I need to be reminded that this, whatever this is, has been given to me by the lover of my soul for my good. Therefore, praise Jesus. And the good news is, the good news with regards to this part of the Christian life is that you can do this. You can be one who expresses fruit, bears fruit in everything, grows in the knowledge of God, strengthened to endure, and joyfully give thanks because God loves you exactly as you are and He loves you too much to leave you there. Because God loves you, you can rejoice in Him and you can move forward. Then Paul wraps up. He says in the second part of verse 12, The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have forgiveness, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, we're going to return to redemption in two or three weeks coming up. But I want to emphasize one of Paul's most important doctrine. One of the most important teachings that Paul hits on over and over and over again. We find it big in Romans and Ephesians. And we find it also in Colossians. And we find it in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He has transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That is why I wear this shirt. Because it's a very physical, small reminder of transferring out of one kingdom and into another. The great and glorious truth that I am one who is no longer a child of wrath, but I have become a child of the living King. I need an amen for that. This verse is why we can say with absolute confidence, I am not perfect, but I know that I am with God. This verse is why we can say, God loves you exactly as you are. And God loves you too much to leave you there. You, right now, right where you sit, are completely forgiven and justified. You are, as my friend Mark constantly reminds me, are a saint. You are a holy one in God's kingdom. Even in your lust and your greed and your gossip and your bitterness and your self-centeredness, if you have repented, if you have turned away from sin and turned towards God, then you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You, right now, right where you are, you are safe and you are loved. You are safe and you are loved. You who have trusted God's promises are safe 
and you are loved. This, my friends, is where hope is to be found. Not because you have all your stuff together, because you don't. Not because you have defeated the sin that has plagued you for years, because you haven't. Your hope and mine is in the fact that God the Father has transferred us from the pit of darkness where all that we had was enmity with God and brought us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And because we have forgiveness of sins, therefore we can be free and say, thank you Jesus, I am with you. And I could walk away from that and walk with you. In fact, let me give you two very concrete steps. We introduced this last week. It's called Growing in Christ. It's 13 Bible studies. The first five of them deal with promises that you need to know as a Christian. The next eight deal with different aspects of life that you need to apply these first five promises in. How can you be one who walks with Christ even more. We still have some over at this Welcome Center over here. Please stop by and get them. They cost seven bucks. If you have five, you can give it to us. If you don't have it, ask the lady at the Welcome Center and she'll give it to you. Then get together with one person. Sit down. Do one lesson a week or one lesson every two weeks. But walk with Jesus so that you have His truth in your heart and you can then be a disciple-making disciple. And secondly, we have another book uh, that I have discovered. This is called The Hope of Glory. It's 100 Daily Meditations in Colossians. My boys and I went through this and each of them are about three pages. You can read the passage that you're in in Colossians and then you read a description about what's going on and you know what I liked it there was very little in here that I thought hmm that's kind of strange um, get yourself a copy wtsbooks.org uh, get yourself a copy christianbooksdistributors.com is another one if you must you can go to amazon.com and use your prime account and get it to you really fast but the point is get it and use this because we all struggle to do our quiet times. Satan doesn't want you to do it, so he's going to make you struggle. This gives us a content. It gives us a foundation upon which to build so that we can continue to grow in him. This is not discipleship, but this is a way of doing discipleship. It is a way of you being able to take steps to become more like Jesus. And you can do it because God loves you exactly as you are. And he loves you too much to leave you there.